Part One of The Secret of Everyday Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Secret of Everyday Things by Jean Henri Fabre. Chapter One Thread. Uncle Paul resumed his talks on things that grow and things that are made while his nephews, Jules and Emile, and his nieces, Claire and Marie, listened to his true stories, as they liked to call them, and from time to time asked him a question or put in some word of their own. Continuing the subject of cotton manufacture, he called his hearer's attention to the number of processes the raw material must go through before it emerges as finished fabric ready for making into wearing apparel, and to the countless workmen that must, from first to last, have been engaged in its production, and in all the operations leading up to its final application to household uses. "'Then I should think,' said Marie, "'that cotton cloth would be very expensive if all those workmen are to get their pay for the time and labor they have put into its manufacture.' "'On the contrary,' Uncle Paul assured her, "'the price is kept down to a very moderate figure. But to accomplish this surprising result two powerful factors are called into play.' wholesale manufacture, and the use of machinery. The process employed for spinning cotton into the thread that you see wound on spools will help you to understand my meaning. You know how the housewife spins the tow that is used for making linen. First she thrusts inside her belt the distaff, made out of a reed, and bearing at its forked end a bunch of tow. Then with one hand she draws out the fibers and gathers them together by moistening them a little with her lips, while with the other she twirls her spindle, and thus twists the loose fibers into a single strand. After she has twisted it tightly enough, she winds it on the spindle, and then proceeds to draw out another length of tow from the distaff. "'Mother Annette is very skillful with the distaff,' put in Claire. "'I like to hear her thumb snap when she twirls the spindle. But when she spins wool, she uses a spinning wheel.' First of all,' Uncle Paul explained, the carded wool is divided into long wisps, or locks. One of these is brought into contact with a rapidly twirling hook, which catches the wool and twists it into a thread that lengthens little by little at the expense of the lock of wool, the latter being all the while held and controlled by the fingers. When the thread has attained a certain length, it is wound on the spindle by a suitable movement of the wheel, and then the twisting of the lock of wool is resumed. In case of need, cotton could be thus spun by hand, but skilful as Mother Annette is at such work, cloth made from thread spun in that fashion would be enormously expensive because of the time spent in producing it. What, then, shall we do? We must resort to machinery, and in vast establishments, known as cotton factories, we set up hundreds of thousands of spindles and bobbins, all moving with perfect precision and so rapidly that the eye cannot follow them. It must be wonderful, remarked Jules, to see all those machines spinning the cotton into thread so fast you can't keep track of them. Yes, those machines, surpassing in delicate dexterity the nimble fingers of the most skillful spinner, are indeed among the cleverest inventions ever produced by man, but they are so complicated that the eye gets lost among their innumerable parts. I can only point out to you the more important of these parts, without hoping to make you understand how the whole machine operates. First, there are the cards which comb the mass of cotton into fine strips or ribbons, just as Mother Annette cards the wool she is about to spin on her wheel. 
these cards of hers you understand are nothing more nor less than big brushes bristling with a multitude of fine iron points one card remains at rest and receives a thin layer of wool after which the other is made to pass over it in such a way as to comb the wool and draw out fine locks of it one after another in this fashion too the cards in cotton factories play their part on leaving the cards the ribbons of cotton fibre are drawn out lightly twisted and then wound on bobbins next a machine called a spinning jenny takes the partly spun cotton and twists it into thread more or less fine according to the purpose it is to serve finally this thread finds its way automatically to the reel which forms it into skeins or to the winder which winds it into those regular balls that we can't admire too much for their perfect shape you have doubtless observed with what precision what elegance the thread is wound into a ball that the merchant delivers to you at the insignificant price of a few centimes what human hands would have the steadiness what fingers the skill to achieve anything comparable with this little masterpiece i know i can't begin to wind such a ball said marie it just makes a shapeless lump instead of the pretty ball i buy at the store no one depending only on his hands could ever achieve that admirable regularity uncle paul assured her to that end we must have machines unvarying in their movements and working with a precision that nothing can derange thread is numbered according to the degree of fineness the higher the number the finer the thread every skein and every ball being of the same length its weight increases as the fineness diminishes we say then of a particular thread that it's number two hundred when it takes two hundred skeins or balls to make half a kilogram in weight and that it is number one fifty when it takes one hundred and fifty to make up the same weight chapter two pins after thread come the needle and its companion the pin i shall take up the latter first because its manufacture will help us to understand that of the needle which is rather more complicated the things most often used by us are not seldom those of whose origin we are ignorant what is there more convenient more often used than the needle and the pin what could take their place if we were deprived of them we should be reduced to claire's makeshift that day we went on a picnic and she tore a hole in her apron and fastened the edges together with a thorn from the hedge we might also as do those savage tribes that have no manufactured articles shred an animal sinew or a strip of bark into fine thongs to serve as thread and sew with a sharp pointed bone for a needle we might replace the pin by a fishbone that would be a funny sort of gown exclaimed marie sewed with thongs of bark or the sinews of an ox nor should i care much to have my hair fastened with codfish bones yes there are even to-day savage tribes that have nothing else and often the great ladies of ancient times had nothing better they used rude pins made of metal or little splinters of bone advance in the manufacturing arts has given us the pin with its pretty round head at a price so moderate as to be almost negligible the needle with its fine point and its admirable suitability to our use and thread of remarkable strength and fineness now let us learn how pins are made pins are made of brass which is composed of copper and zinc copper is the red metal you are familiar with in copper kettles zinc the grayish-white metal of watering-pots and bath-tubs mixed together they form brass which is yellow the first step is to reduce the copper to wire the size of a pin this is done by means of a draw-plate 
a steel plaque pierced with a series of holes each smaller than the preceding a little brass rod is thrust into the largest hole and forcibly drawn through it in passing through this hole which is a little too small for it the metal rod becomes correspondingly thinner and longer it is then thrust into a still smaller hole and again drawn out becoming once more thinner and longer in the process this operation is continued passing from one hole of the draw plate to the next smaller until the wire acquires the desired fineness while we are on the subject note this fact that all metal wires whether of iron copper gold or silver are made in the same way namely by being passed through the draw plate the brass wires are now put into the hands of the cutter who gathers several of them into a bundle and then with a strong pair of shears cuts them all into pieces twice the length of a pin these pieces must next be sharpened at both ends by means of a steel grindstone which has its grinding surface furrowed like a file and which turns with a prodigious velocity of twenty-seven leagues an hour the man charged with this work whom we will call the sharpener sits on the ground in front of his grindstone legs crossed in tailor fashion he takes in his fingers from twenty to forty pieces spreads them out regularly in the shape of a fan and brings all these branching tip ends simultaneously into contact with the grindstone at the same time twirling them in his fingers so that the tip is worn off equally all around the point and made even the reverse tips are sharpened in the same way but this first process merely produces points in the rough so to speak the sharpener retouches and finishes them on a finer grindstone finally the pieces sharpened at both ends are arranged several together and cut in two in the middle with one clip of a pair of shears each half known as a shank now lacks only a head in order to become a complete pin the heading process is the most difficult part of the whole operation on a slender metal shaft very smooth and slightly larger than the pins a thread of brass is tightly wound in a spiral after which the shaft is removed leaving a long corkscrew with its turns touching one another a cutter of consummate skill in this delicate work which demands at the same time so much precision and so much swiftness divides this corkscrew into small pieces each containing just two turns each of these pieces is a head the workman who is to put them in place and fasten them takes the shanks one by one and plunges them haphazard pointed end first into a wooden bowl full of heads the shank is drawn out with a head strung on it which the operator pushes with his fingers to the unpointed end he immediately places it on a little anvil having a tiny cavity into which the head fits then by means of a pedal moved by the operator's foot a hammer provided with a similar cavity comes down strikes five or six little blows and behold the head is firmly fixed as a finishing touch the pins have still to be coated with tin to this end they are boiled with a certain proportion of this metal in a liquid capable of dissolving it and depositing it in a thin layer on the brass after being thus coated they are washed dried on cloths and finally shaken up with bran in a leather bag in order to heighten their polish it only remains to stick the pins in paper in regular rows a kind of comb with long steel teeth pierces the paper with two lines of holes workwomen known as pin stickers are charged with a delicate task of inserting the pins one by one in these holes a skilled pin sticker can insert from forty to fifty thousand pins a day 
including some details that i omit the manufacture of a pin requires fourteen different operations and consequently the cooperation of fourteen workmen all of consummate skill in their part of the operation nevertheless the manufacture is so rapid that these fourteen workmen can make twelve thousand pins for the modest sum of four francs footnote since the foregoing was written automatic machinery has been invented which greatly facilitates the manufacture of pins pointing heading and papering are now done with great rapidity by such machinery and handwork is almost entirely dispensed with translator End of footnote. chapter three needles take from a case one of the finest needles examine its sharp point its tiny almost imperceptible eye and note finally the polish the shine tell me if this pretty little tool so perfect in its minuteness would not seem to require for its manufacture the superhuman fingers of a fairy rather than a man's heavy hands nevertheless it is robust workmen with knotty fingers blackened by the forge and covered with great calluses that do this most delicate work and how many workers does it take to make one needle one only for the manufacture of a pin i have already told you it takes fourteen different workmen for the manufacture of a needle it requires the cooperation of one hundred and twenty each of whom has his special work and yet the average price of a needle is about one centime footnote nearly one-fifth of a cent in our money translator and footnote the metal of needles is steel which is obtained by adding carbon to iron heated to a very high temperature under this treatment iron changes its nature a little incorporating a very small quantity of carbon and thus becoming exceedingly hard but at the same time brittle a needle must be very hard in order not to bend under the pressure of the thimble forcing it through the thickness of the material on which the seamstress is at work and also in order that the point may not be blunted but always retain the same power of penetration steel the hardest of all the metals is the only one that fulfills these conditions of resistance neither copper nor iron nor the precious metals gold and silver could replace it a gold needle for example in spite of its intrinsic value would be useless becoming blunted and twisted before using up its first needleful of thread steel alone is suited to the manufacture of needles though unfortunately this metal is brittle and the more so the harder it is but i should think marie interposed that since steel is so hard it ought not to break you will think otherwise if you listen to me a while hardness is the degree of resistance that a body opposes to being cut scratched worn away by another of two bodies rubbing against each other the harder is that which cuts the other the softer is that which is cut steel which scratches iron is harder than iron in its turn glass is harder than steel because it can cut the steel without being cut by it but a diamond is still harder than glass since it scratches glass and glass cannot scratch it in fact a diamond is the hardest of all known substances it scratches all bodies and is scratched by none glaziers take advantage of this extreme hardness they cut their panes of glass with the point of a diamond i have heard said claire that a diamond placed on an anvil and struck with a hammer stands the blows without breaking and penetrates into the iron of the anvil it is so hard that is a great mistake replied uncle paul a diamond breaks like glass 
and he would be very ill-advised who should submit this precious stone to the proof of the hammer. At the first blow there would be nothing left but a little worthless dust. You see by these different examples that hardness and brittleness are often united. Steel is very hard, glass still harder, the diamond is the hardest of all substances, nevertheless all three are brittle. That explains to you why needles of excellent steel, which gives them their rigidity and power of penetration, nevertheless break like glass in clumsy fingers. Now I come to the subject of manufacture, from which the properties of steel turned us for a moment. The metal is drawn out into wire by means of a draw plate. Then this wire, several strands at a time, is cut into pieces twice the length of a needle, just as in pin-making. The pieces are pointed at each end, first on a revolving sandstone similar to an ordinary grindstone, then on a wooden wheel covered with a thin layer of oil and a very fine, hard powder called emery. Imagine glass reduced to an impalpable powder, and you will have a sufficiently correct idea of what emery is. The first process gives a more or less coarse point, the second sharpens this point with extreme nicety. The pieces thus pointed at both ends are cut into two equal parts, each one of which is to be a needle. The workman then takes in his fingers four or five of these unfinished needles, spreads them out like a fan, and puts the large end of them on a little anvil. Then with a light blow of the hammer he slightly flattens the head of each. It is in this flattened end that later on the eyelet or hole of the needle will be pierced. But you just told us, uncle, Marie interrupted, that good steel is brittle, the same as glass, yet the workman flattens the head of his needles with a hammer without breaking anything. Your remark is very timely, for before going further we have to take note of one of the most curious properties of steel. I must tell you that it is only by tempering that this metal becomes hard and at the same time brittle. Tempering steel is heating it red-hot and then cooling it quickly by plunging it into cold water. Until it undergoes this operation, steel is no harder than iron, but, to compensate for this softness, it can then be hammered, forged, and in fact worked in all sorts of ways without risk of breaking. Once tempered, it is very hard, and at the same time so brittle that it can never henceforth stand the blow of a hammer. Accordingly, Needles are not tempered until we near the end of the process of manufacture. Before that, they are neither hard nor brittle, and can be worked as easily as iron itself. If you look at a needle attentively, you will see that the head is not only flattened, but also hollowed out a little on each side, in the form of a gutter or groove, which serves to hold the thread. To obtain this double groove, the workman places the needles, one by one, between two tiny steel teeth which, moved by machinery, open and shut, like two almost invisible jaws. Bitten hard by the shutting of these two teeth, the head of the needle is indented with a groove on each side. Now the eye must be pierced, an operation of unequalled delicacy. Two workmen cooperate in this, each equipped with a steel awl whose fineness corresponds with the hole to be made. The first places the head of the needle on a leaden block, puts the point of his instrument in the groove on one side, and, striking a blow with the hammer on the head of the awl, thus obtains not a complete hole, but merely a dimple. The needle is then turned over and receives a similar dimple on the other side. 
the other workman takes the needles and with the aid of his awl removes the tiny bit of steel that separates the two dimples behold the eye completely finished probably no work requires such sureness of hand and precision of sight as the piercing of the eye of a needle certainly he has no trembling fingers or dimmed eyesight who can without faltering apply his steel point to the fine head of a needle strike with perfect accuracy the blow of the hammer and open the imperceptible orifice that my eyes can scarcely find when i want to thread a needle there are needles so small remarked marie that i really don't see how anyone can manage to make an eye in them this incomprehensible achievement is mostly the work of astonishingly skilful children so skilful indeed are some of them that they can make a hole in a hair and pass a second hair through this hole then the needle's eye said emile which seems such a difficult piece of work to us is only child's play to them child's play indeed so quick and dexterous are they at it and they have still another kind of dexterity that would astonish you no less to make the needles easier to handle in the process of manufacture they must be placed so that they all point the same way but as in passing from one operation to another from one workman to another they become more or less disarranged it is necessary to arrange them in order again all the points at one end all the heads at the other for us there would be no way but to pick them up one by one with these children this delicate task is but the work of an instant they take a handful of needles all in disorder shake them in the hollow of the hand and that is enough order is re-established the heads are together the points are together the eye completed the next process is tempering to give the steel its required hardness the needles are arranged on a plate of sheet iron which is then placed on red-hot coals when sufficiently heated the needles are dropped quickly into a bucket of cold water this produces in them the hardness characteristic of steel and its accompanying brittleness as a finishing touch the needles must be polished till they shine brightly in parcels of fifteen or twenty thousand each they are sprinkled with oil and emery and wrapped up in coarse canvas tied at both ends these round packages these rolls are placed side by side on a large table and covered with a weighted tray workmen or machinery then make the tray pass back and forth over the table incessantly for a couple of days by this process the packages drawn this way and that way by the tray roll along the table and the needles rubbing against one another are polished by the emery with which they are sprinkled on coming out of the polishing machine the needles soiled with refuse of oil and detached particles of steel are cleaned by washing with hot water and soap it only remains now to dry them well discard those that the rude operation of polishing has broken and finally wrap with paper in packages of a hundred those that have no defect the most celebrated needles come from england but needles are also made in france at aigle in the department of orne footnote since fabre wrote the manufacture of needles like that of pins has undergone important changes and improvements through the application of machinery translator end of footnote end of part one